tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Gander, Peggy's Brother, and Cult of the Cloud. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. So, Crystal, a lot of exciting stuff has happened since we recorded the last episode. Yeah, a lot of exciting stuff happened. Let's see. There was there was the uh, still ongoing Omicron surge mm-hmm. happening. Uh, COVID's coming back in a big way. Real late season comeback for COVID. <laughs> um, uh, and then in the midst of that... Uh, eight months ago, uh, David, uh, my f- then fiance, and I decided, hey, you know what? I bet this, uh, bet this COVID shit's probably going to be wrapping up right around mid-January of 2022. Pretty safe bet. Uh, we'll get in cheap uh, if we plan a wedding in, yeah. on a Sunday in January. This is how we're going to have a nice wedding and do it for cheap, and everyone will be fine and show up, and it'll be cool. And um, it was fine. <laughs> We did get married. Um, it was a it was a beautiful wedding, uh, a, a real dream, full of magic. Robbie, you were there to walk me down the aisle. Yes, I was. Thank, thank you were you. there, man, and yeah. we haven't seen each other probably in a couple of years. So probably, I want to say it was like the end of 2018. I, like December actually, 2018. I, I would. That's that right? exactly when it was. Yeah. Yeah, you were down here, um, and we have been kept apart through circumstances, but we were together again. And uh, yeah, Robbie was there on the big day, holding it down on the dance floor like a king, um, driving the golf cart when everyone else got too drunk. <laughs> uh, waited, waited, made sure that all of our stuff that we had to ship back because we got married on an island down here in Southern California. I guess it's over now. I can just say it was Catalina Island. And, uh, you know, we had a really beautiful wedding for the people who managed to show up. Nothing like <laughs> trying to plan a wedding and have to submit final catering numbers um, in the middle of a pandemic surge that you didn't see coming. Um, so we lost like 25% of our guest list in the week and a half before the wedding, but that's okay. Because the real one showed up, and uh, yeah, I, we had a great time. You know, you that were the uh, you were the wedding uh, MVP. We decided. <laughs> oh, oh, awesome! I, uh, uh, I I'm I'm digging that. Do I get like a a, a little little trophy or something like like? Yeah, we're to... gonna we're gonna hang your jersey up. <laughs> yes, in the arena of our home. <laughs> <laughs> nice, for, uh, nice. For being the MVP. No, you were really uh just just anything that we uh you know, little things that came up, you were definitely there handling it. Um we also we had a coordinator, um she was there, but I really feel like you were the MVP. <laughs> Um, but yeah it was a really special time and i think i think because it got to be so small at the end i think at the end we had maybe like including the kids like 50 people there um you know it felt very intimate and special and it was really nice getting to spend basically an entire weekend with people we hadn't seen in years and a lot of those people live right by us but because of covid and work schedules we just haven't been able to see them and mm-hmm. so it was really special 
I think, to get to see people in that context. And the weather was so nice, too. I was yeah. betting on that, and it was really incredible. Um, so, Robbie, we were talking a little bit before the pod about your uh, coming in and out of LAX experience, because I believe, I believe this is the first time you've flown into LAX, yeah? I think I flew in there as, like, a, a layover um, mm-hmm. to another location. Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. you know, it was the first time I, I flew into LAX with the intent uh, purpose of of being in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like LAX as a layover is fine. Um, it's the entering or exiting of LAX where it gets pretty crazy when you're actually trying to leave the airport. In my experience, or get or get into the airport, it, it is a uh, truly a nightmare. It yeah, it's it, the it's, worst. <laughs> it did seem like. Like just my my observations, it did seem like if I was given the task of driving to LAX, I would just mm-hmm. I would just like smash my head through a wall instead. Because yeah, it, no, that's uh that's the deal here. It's basically whenever we have friends come visit, and they're like, "What airport should I fly into?" And I'm like, "Burbank, always Burbank, always go to Burbank." I'm because if you fly into LAX, I'm not getting your ass. <laughs> you can take an Uber. I'm yeah, not coming for you. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, and it's it's so much further away. And I like Burbank is just what, like 13 minutes drive for you or I think I think even in bad traffic. Yeah, it's all surface streets from my house. So Burbank is um, maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. If that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's a breeze like Burbank is a dream airport. It's just you get in, you get out. No problem. It's great. Yeah. When I when I come down there, because you know, because I, I spent a couple of days just um, mm-hmm. seeing some sites in L.A. before yeah. a, a meeting up with you guys for the the wedding. So I was like, well, it doesn't matter then if I I mean fly into LAX or Burbank because I, I'm not expecting Crystal to pick me up or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the next time I visit, I'll. I'll I'll I'll, I'll actually fly into Burbank so that yeah. Uh, well, you, you might have to fly southwest, though. No, no, Delta okay fly, flies in. They just, uh, there's a yeah, layover. Yeah, but it's more expensive. And, uh, but I'm a man of more means than I have. I know, but what is your opposition to Southwest Airlines, my favorite airline in the entire world? Well, okay, not to sound like uh, I let it get to my head or anything, but I did fly uh-huh. first class um, to to attend your wedding. Oh, um, Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, it uh-huh. actually, I mean, I, I make that out. The, it's it's funny. Uh, go, the, the upgrade to for to first class, uh-huh. if you're going from Reno to LAX, is only like 20 bucks. So Yeah, well, it's an hour long flight. Yeah, yeah. It's so, not a long flight. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Okay, well, this is shocking news. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking yeah. right here on the pod. Yeah. Robbie yeah. flew first class on Delta. I right. don't even know what to say. I don't right. even know what to say about that. Yeah, I mean, like contrast that to the the previous time I, I came down to LA to see you when I was riding on the Greyhound um, bus. <laughs> and the bus the bus got diverted because of snow. Snow. And it took like 14 hours or something journey. Yeah. Insane. It was crazy. Yeah. Meanwhile, I And flew- now you're in first class on Delta. Like don't even know what to say about that. Yeah. 
Um, People are revoking their Patreon memberships right now. Because they're like, well. <laughs> oh, well, if they're revoking their Patreon memberships right now, wait until they hear about the the, the kind of snooty behavior I got into. Uh, almost, well, got into in my imagination, but then in real life, uh-huh. I just, it was just quiet. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, actually, first, <laughs> let's talk about, before I even get to, the, the, to leaving LAX, let's talk about when I flew into LAX. Mm-hmm. Um, when when the flight was taking off from Reno, and Reno, you know, has a kind of a little bumpy uh, exit a lot of times. Yeah, for sure. It. It's it, it gets rough. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, and, it's pretty bad. And I mentioned that to preface this because uh, when I've tried to tell other people about this, they're like, "Well, Reno is is always rough when you." And it's like, "No, you don't understand what I'm trying. I just told mm. you this was the worst." Experience wow. like turbulence experience I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. Yeah, like uh, when we were when we were taking off from from uh, Reno Tahoe International Airport, the plane was like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it wasn't just like you know bumpy. It uh-huh. felt like like the p- plane was being knocked from side to side. Oh <laughs> and God. It was it was severe enough to the point where like I was looking around at the everyone else in the cabin, and uh-huh. they were kind of all looking at each other with uh-huh. you know their faces distinctly red. Like, is this it? Are we going to yeah. crash? Wow! Um, and it's funny. Uh, uh, just a day or two previously, a coworker uh, of mine had offhandedly mentioned something about how most plane crashes happen right after takeoff. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so I heard her voice running through my head. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was, but it was fine. It was fine. Like after several minutes of that, like, and we, we got through the worst of it. The, the, yeah. the captain of the flight came on and made some awkward <laughs> joke to try to diffuse the tension and everyone nervously laughed. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I, yeah, Reno is a, is, a, is the reason being is you're at altitude, you're at a high altitude. Yeah. And you're usually going very quickly into, um, Reno is a very windy place, very windy place. And so, and the reason being is because, um, either the warm air of the desert is hitting the cold mountain air as you ascend, or you are hitting, um, you know, the warm air coming from the, uh, east is hitting the cold air from the west. So just that usually causes like a lot of turbulence yeah. coming and going from Reno. It is, it's rough. Like I've done it, but gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I didn't know it was like, look around the plane. Scary. Right. It was, That's um, terrible. I I didn't know like I I'm terrified of flying now. This is a new thing I'm bringing into 2022. <laughs> okay. I have never I've flown a lot, and um, you know I'm not like some business traveler. I'm not like living in the sky or anything like that. But I've flown a lot, and I've flown to a lot of different places. Yeah. And some of the worst turbulence i've ever had was recently when we were coming in for a landing in mexico city so this was lax to mexico city oh and it was a huge plane huge beautiful big beautiful the most bigly plane you can imagine so nice i don't even (laughs) want to call out the airline though because i feel like this is not i don't know how it is usually landing in mexico city yeah 
but it has a similar situation to Reno, I think, which is you're basically la- you're you're landing in a a mountain bowl mm. and you're landing in a valley coming mm. up over mountains, and I think that might be some of the same situation. So I don't know if it's always this rough. I've only been once. So um, actually, it's not true. Nope, I've flown into Mexico City twice. This was way worse. Okay. <laughs> and we were on a huge. It was a beautiful Dreamliner, like brand new Boeing 787, giant plane and uh, just top of the line stuff. And we had two sudden altitude losses. I mean, basically, Mm. this this was not an American airline. I'll say that it was a Mexican airline. And all they said, basically, before coming in was buckle up. And they didn't say anything else. Like, oh, it would be over in a couple of minutes. It's always like, they didn't say a goddamn thing. And we had two <laughs> oh, huge no. altitude losses. I shit you not, that were so big, the entire plane screamed twice. What? Screaming. I mean, the, it was it was just short of the oxygen mass dropping <gasps> from the ceiling. Screaming. And then we landed and it was like, all right flight crew get up we're getting off the plane there was no apology there was not even in spanish he didn't say anything it was like we're just sitting in there in silence like we're all gonna die and the plane is screaming and he's not saying like oh it'll be you know it's two minutes of this and then we're on the ground don't worry about it it was buckle up and then we were there and i i have been terrified of flying ever since and i had to get on like four more planes after that flight and even one of them was like very simple, you know, Burbank to Sacramento, perfect flying day, not a bit of turbulence, and I was breathing into a bag. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, I'm Chris, so, though. I've never been afraid of flying, and now I'm terrified to get on a plane. Yeah. I know, I just, sometimes you get that bad flight, and it just gets under your skin, and it's just, you know. So, I mean, so you land at LAX. Yeah. You're there. You, um, you hit the ground. You're all right. I'm fine. And then, I'm assume the I assume the landing into LAX was much smoother than the takeoff from Reno. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. It it, it went off without a hitch. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it was great. Uh, great. And um, but then uh, leaving LAX after after all the wonderful days spent on Catalina Island for your wonderful wedding. Um, yeah. Uh, Thank there you. was, there was just, it was, a, there was a slight delay, mm-hmm. um, because the, when the plane was coming in, there was a medical emergency, but which, uh, I guess I was, I was mentally picturing like some poor 80 year old man suffering a heart attack, but I guess it was just uh-huh. someone in their thirties suffering a panic attack or something. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we, the, you know, to ensure that any remaining Patreons have canceled their subscri- subscription at this point, uh-huh. I'll, I'll mention that, like, because they, they had us, uh, like, walk down and get into, like, some shuttles to go to where the plane was landed, because uh-huh. uh, uh, to, to board it, because it was... Uh, it yeah, was, this is a, a very special, super secret uh, adjunct terminal at LAX. Uh, well, well... You say a adjunct terminal, but uh-huh. I we like. Do you mean? Are you referring to like the the tarmac as a as a, a sort of 
euphemistic terminal or? Um, yeah. So usually at LAX, because it's a huge airport, usually there's a jetway, as in most major airports, that connects you from the gate directly on the plane. So you go down the long tunnel mm-hmm. and then you walk on the plane. So there is a there is a certain area of LAX for flights to quote unquote smaller cities mm-hmm. usually. Um, and I've only experienced this with Delta. So it's Delta's like a junked section where you have to get on a shuttle, go out to the tarmac, wait, like wait in a staging area. Right. And then take the stairs and get up on the plane that way. How would you describe this staging area? You just kind of stand around until they tell you to get on the plane. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's like a it's like an adjunct terminal for Delta at LAX. So you got you got in like the uh, deep cut of LAX here. Yes. Um and as they were loading us into the sh- uh having us pile into the shuttles like uh as I got into one shuttle and more and more people were getting into it in my mind, I thought it would be amusing, but I decided not mm-hmm. to do this because mm-hmm. I was like, there's probably going to be at least some people who don't, I mean, they don't know who I am and they won't understand this as a joke, mm-hmm. but I was, Safe bet. <laughs> yeah, I was going, I was going, I, in my mind, I thought it'd be really amusing to say like, uh, to act indignant and be like, are they allowing coach passengers onto a first class shuttle i paid 20 american dollars to be in first class what is this <laughs> i think you should have done it okay <laughs> be like excuse me there must be some mistake <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so no it was it was it was all it was all good. Uh, I yeah. Uh, it, both both little hiccups I had on my flight in and out of L.A. Apparently nothing compared to you. Really, uh, uh, you really, uh, really experienced something that really put my stuff to, into perspective. Damn. I yeah. I don't. I've had I've had some bad turbulence before for sure. There was one time I was flying back from Taiwan. So this is a long flight. It's a 12 hour flight across the Pacific ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, if that plane crashes in the ocean and say you survive, then I'm finding your ass. You're in the <laughs> middle of the Pacific ocean. You know what I mean? Like, nah, even if you survive, the sharks are going to get you. But I remember there was turbulence so bad on that flight and I was sitting directly across the aisle from uh some Buddhist monks. Okay. And I remember it being really bad and looking over at the Buddhist monks and that and those monks were gripping those armrests like I've never seen. I'm like, oh damn the oh, monks are, the monks are like upset. The monks are rattled. We're gonna die. <laughs> I was like come I was like come on Come on, monks! I'll look over there, and they'll just be like blissing out, meditating, getting through. no look all white serene. knuckling. Oh God, no! <laughs> uh, Robbie, hey, you know there was a reason we decided to talk about our plane troubles uh, for as long as we did. One of those reasons is because the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that we're about to talk about is only three segments long, not including an update. And uh, 
And and the very first segment of season five episode are we episode twenty four? Is this episode uh, twenty three now? Twenty three uh, is uh, involves a a pretty intense uh, military aerial disaster. Yes, yes. So uh, we thought we would just talk about uh, planes for twenty minutes. Our our as our, a lead up to this. <laughs> All you people who leave iTunes reviews, this extended opening discussion totally justified because we are on yeah, the topic of planes and and, and crashes and, and and stuff, which is and the it subject directly of- relates to what we're going to talk about. Yes, and unsolved mysteries, season five, episode twenty three. The first segment takes us back to the nineteen eighties. Um, it involves a, a, a pretty terrible incident that happened where a group of 100 of the 101st Airborne Division um, were taking an aero air flight back to the States after doing some peacekeeping in Sinai. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, when they were... Uh, they'd cr- you know, they crossed the entire Atlantic without uh, without a hitch, but they, mm-hmm. they crashed in uh, Canada at a, I can't recall, was Gander the name of the airport or? Uh, yeah, the- Gander International Airfield <clears throat> in Newfoundland. And I feel like this is the second time this airport has come up in Unsolved Mysteries. I've, I, have the, I have a similar feeling. It's this weird sense of deja vu mm-hmm. um now <clears throat> I, be- I believe they landed into the airport fine but when they were taking off they crashed yes yeah that's how it goes according to your friend <laughs> according to <Yes>. my friend <laughs> god um now the uh apparently you know when the plane takes uh, crashes after takeoff there there's typically a lot more stuff um of the plane left over in those cases. But Mm -hmm. in this uh, situation, the plane was just like essentially just uh, wiped out of existence um, to such a degree that uh, there's a lot of questions about, you know, what was on, what was on the plane, right? Uh, and now a member of Islamic Jihad called into the American consulate in Algeria and claimed responsibility for, for the flight, for this, uh, for this disaster. So, you know, perhaps it was, uh, some sort of explosives on board, um, or there was an alternative hypothesis that's put here because apparently before leaving Egypt, 80 like the the luggage of 81 of the passengers was removed from the flight so that some wooden boxes could be put on board the plane hmm which first of all wooden boxes i i, I heard that and it was like what is this the 1800s <laughs> i was like i didn't realize that the army was still using wooden boxes to ship stuff in in the 1980s um but uh, yeah, they. Uh, well, I mean, what are they supposed to use? Future cubes. I, I don't, I don't, 
Anyway, so there's there's some speculation that like maybe maybe something you know some sort of explosives or some something you know along those lines was brought on board. So when the plane crashed, it it went up way more than you a plane would. Um, and, you know the government denies this, of course, and so we get we get some reenactments of like some guy who showed up to the crash site. And in the reenactment, he's walking up to some soldiers uh, who are standing by three or four wooden boxes stacked up on on top of each other uh, with with like caution tape wrapped around them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he said that like when he got in close and he was looking in, he saw all sorts of uh, like long arms leaning against the boxes. And like in the reenactment, we see rocket launchers and all sorts of stuff. Um, so it seems like there was some pretty, uh, some pretty heavy duty munition type stuff going on there. Uh, certainly more, more combustible than, than some lowly corporal's un- underwear and socks, which think about mm-hmm. how much that would suck. Even if you, this hor- horrific crash didn't happen. You know, yeah. the, the flight went fine, but you arrive back in the States. It's like, oh, <laughs> your luggage wasn't on the flight. <laughs> so we had to make rooms for some other stuff. So, like, in a week or two, uh, a, a car a car from the airline, Aero Airline, will swing by and drop off your, your duffel bag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why uh, when I fly, I typically don't like to check in luggage because I'm always mm-hmm. convinced that it will just get lost. Um, I see. Yeah. I I like to check in luggage on my airline of choice, Southwest. Okay. Um, because it's free <laughs> and uh, and painless. Really love Southwest Airlines. You know, HMU, Southwest Airlines, if you want to sponsor this pod. Robbie's not on board with you because he's a snob or whatever, but I freaking <laughs> love Southwest Airlines. And uh, I like to check my bag because it ensures that the plane will wait for you. <laughs> and as a person who, uh, li- li- this is a bit more on topic with what we were talking about in the opening, but I prefer to generally arrive at the gate as my plane is boarding. Hmm. And uh, this is a chaotic move, according to most people. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I want to spend as little time in the airport as possible. I'm, I I want to like I want to walk up to that gate after getting through security. I want to see it boarding. I want to get on that plane. I I don't want to spend any time in the airport. I love I well previously I used to love flying. Now I'm terrified of it. I hate airports. Hate them. Um, uh. You know, in my bit of snobbery these days, if there's a lounge and I got a, a couple extra coins. I'm going to go sit in that that lounge if I can buy my way in there. Wow. You know, the VIP lounges. Not every airport has them, uh, but if I can find one, I just, I can't be, I can't be out there with the middle classes and the proletariats. I have to be away. What the hell? I'm the snob for flying first class so so I can get extra water when I'm just seated down on Uh my seat before takeoff. Yeah, Yeah. no, I don't want to be in the mix with the people in in the uh, airport. So if there's ever a situation where I have to be at an airport super early, 
which is comes up from time to time. Uh, that's how I prefer to do it. Um, so okay. but then I'm getting on the Southwest flight home. We're all getting on the same plane. It's the equalizer. But I prefer to be walking up to the gate as the plane is boarding. This drives everyone I've ever traveled with completely <laughs> insane. <laughs> but, I can imagine. <laughs> I ain't missed a flight yet, Robbie. Ain't <clears throat> happened. And if you check those bags, guess what? While you're getting your coffee at Starbucks or whatever, they might page you to the gate, say, where this is final boarding, get on, Crystal Jewett. But they they can't take off until uh, your your ass is on that plane with your bags for security reasons. So oh, oh I see. That's how you play the system. That's nice. how I I play this. I am such. I would rather have the entire plane wait for me, be the last <laughs> asshole that gets on, have them all stare at me, and then me comfortably sit down, knowing that I didn't spend the first two hours of my morning or whatever, sitting around at the gate like an asshole. <laughs> I salute you. Uh, I'm, but it's, it's a chaotic game, man. Yeah. It's uh you're rolling the dice when you travel with me. <laughs> Let me tell you if that was, yeah, if that was, if that was me, I would be so free. I am, I am paranoid about being late or, or mm. missing a flight or, yeah. What have you. So yeah. like to me to arrive at the airport and there's still hours to go. I'm like, I'm here. Thank God. Yeah. There's 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 no automobile incident on the way to the airport. There's there's yeah. no, huh. yeah, there's 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 nothing that like to prevent me from getting to the airport, getting through all the stuff, checking in. I've already done that. Like when I was yeah. waiting in LAX to fly back to Reno, I was kind of just you know, I, I was just you know sitting in the in the seat and just chilling out in the terminal and just you know looking at all the different people walking by. Like, what's their story? What's what's this person's story? Oh, there's someone yeah. who's flying on an international flight. That's cool. And it's, it's I was, yeah. I don't know. There's yeah. There's been a couple of times in the last year where I had to get to the airport super early. One one was not by choice. Mm-hmm. I was there six hours early. They wouldn't even let me check my bag. So I basically like, and it was an airport with zero facilities, basically. I see. Um, except bathrooms. Um, so that was a freaking nightmare. Thank you very much. Lahui airport in Hawaii. Okay. The Ooh. second one <laughs> was when I was in Cancun and I bought, I bought that pass for the lounge. I wasn't super early for my flight, but my flight kept getting delayed. Yeah. So I was in the lounge, chilling, having my cocktail, wrapping up a nice vacation in Mexico. Uh, And then the lounge closed. And the way I thought it was timing, it was that the lounge was going to close right as I needed to board. But then my flight kept getting delayed. So then I was thrust out there with the people having Uh, wasted the money on the lounge because that's where I ended up anyways. Yeah. You know, I don't want to I don't want to be out there with the people. I get that. I realize we're all getting on the same plane, but until then, you know, <laughs> I, I, I get that. I get that. Uh, I, I, I understand. Um, so wait, well, what we're you're, what you're really, si- really off. I, I just, I want to make this the airplane podcast. People yeah. hate talk. You know, this is very like early nineties stand up. Like what's the deal? 
Quit sitting on a plane. plane. Like, let's not. I feel like that's what we're doing right now. But I, I will careen back into the topic at hand because I was like, why have we both? Why is Gander Airport uh, making making such a uh, ringing such a bell with me yes. right now? Um, and I can't speak for you. I do feel like I listened to a podcast. It was like Radio Lab or ninety nine percent Invisible or something that talked about Gander. And the thing about Gander is, and the reason that this flight that we're we're talking about with um, the the Aero Air flight, the reason that it was stopped at Gander on its way back from uh, Egypt and going to Kentucky is because this particular area of Newfoundland um, is a good stop when coming in from Europe or the Middle East to refuel. So those big planes that can't make the straight trip mm-hmm. generally have to stop in Gander, Newfoundland. Newfoundland. And it's just basically it's been a refueling stop since World War II. Well, that's interesting. Uh, and <laughs> wait, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I, I guess it makes Gander. sense just from you know if you look at a map, it's like basically it's the first thing you can reach to land on. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, North America for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that's that's why it's it's strategically it has been super important. But more recently, um, there was uh, a so. <clears throat> If we can go back to September 11th, 2001, we all know what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't, Google it. But basically what happened is all U.S. airspace was closed that day. And so there were a number of flights that were in the air <laughs> due to land um, in the United States Uh on that day and so they had to be rerouted somewhere and almost all of those flights coming in from Europe and the Middle East got rerouted and landed at Gander ah. and um, there was recently and I think it is still it is now performing um, there is a musical touring maybe it's not a musical maybe it's just a play but uh, there's a musical touring the United States and maybe Canada as well. It's called, it's a brand new one. It's called come from away. And it is about all of the flights and the people who were put into the uh, area of Labrador and Newfoundland, like all those people from around the world that had to get basically stuck um, in, in Gander for a while till they could get home or wherever they were supposed to be in the U S before, you know? And so there's actually like a, like a Broadway play come from away that sounds about like that'd Gander. actually be pretty interesting to to check out yeah and then i was remembering why do i remember all this shit why does it ring, ring a bell and it's because my now mother-in-law was telling me there's a really great play and i believe it is now a movie that you can watch oh so, oh wow okay so uh it all comes full like it all connects it crystal your wedding yeah gander um, this play yeah. flying, it, it, it all connects. It's all, it's all connected and, 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 and it and, all runs through Gander, Newfoundland. So, so really your wedding is also, uh, kind of connected to Iran Contra, which is mm-hmm, <laughs> solved mysteries just briefly drops in as a, as something that possibly could be related to why. Yeah. Stuff they kind of on- just float that. And then <laughs> it's not really a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> So we got a little archival footage of all over North. Um, that's always yeah. Fun. Why, I mean, if you have it, use it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so there's just, you know, uh, I don't know what else to really kind of talk about in this segment. There, there's a lot of speculation because they're talking with some of the families of, of you know, the people who... Uh, who passed away in this this terrible tragedy. And they're kind of understandably like, you know, we like to kind of know exactly what happened. I guess there was a something about how someone in the military wanted to bodoze the the crash area immediately after after the crash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's not too much in the way of more uh, of reenactments going on in this either. Like, no. And adi- in addition to like seeing this, st- the same guy who saw the stack of, of munitions, they also have a little thing of him walking down to where a firefighter is shooting some water on a, a flame that isn't like, I guess the implication is it's not going out like or like mm-hmm. if he takes the water off it for a moment, it just relights up. So the suggestion there is there's something, some, you know, really heavy duty, you know, um, uh, something there that that's just really flam- flammable. So uh, there, there, there is no <laughs> update on this, of course. No. Yeah. I, I think this is filed to just sometimes bad things, bad and tragic things happen. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a real Benghazi. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we could dig around a lot, but sometimes just bad things happen in the world and there isn't, like, necessarily a way to have prevented them or... Right, you know, right. Not, it just happened. Not not every terrible incident is, like, a conspiracy or something. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um... Well... Uh, on a lighter note, hey Robbie, do you want to go to the circus with me? You know, normally I hate lost love segments, but I am really looking forward to this one. <laughs> oh boy, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're so this is a lost love segment. Um, you know, like so many other lost loves, it seems like there's a reoccurring theme with lost loves. Uh, in in unsolved mysteries generally. And I, and I think they all get filed to things that could be solved on Facebook in five minutes. Yes. Um, this one's interesting though, cause we'll get to the end and, and it kind of leaves some questions unanswered, but uh, the, the other themes I've noticed um, in, in lost love segments is, um, you know, the great depression and world war two. And this is something stack addresses in his intro. Mm-hmm. too um because th- this is you know getting to be sort of a repetitive story of the families that were lost and broken up either as a result of the poverty of the De- great depression in the united states or just the simple fact of being at war and having so many uh you know men and women deployed overseas um, it, it broke up a lot of families. And yeah. so, you know, I, I, you know, freaking you go read grapes of wrath. You know what I'm saying? Just totally you get the idea. Yeah. So it's either, you know, as a re- result of the war, but prior to that, the result of just the extreme poverty of the great depression, so many families were broken up and such was the case with um, Peggy Lloyd's family. And she had a sister. She also had a brother, Arthur, 
And um, their father, who was named Curly Lloyd, uh, <laughs> was deployed. Yeah. Over that's not his real name. We'll no. get to why he's called Curly later. <laughs> <laughs> Pro- or likely why he's called Curly. Yeah. Uh that's not well, it's not the name his mother gave him anyway. His real name is Lee Lloyd, but we'll we'll call him Curly for the sake of this. Um his wife, um who what's the wife's name? Who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um his wife, Peggy's mother, Arthur's mother, um decided that during Curly's tour of du- duty in World War to that she would like a divorce please and she took uh her three children to a boarding home in oroville california um and that was whenever but then in 1944 this is really strange reenactment i thought yeah the mother the mother comes back to the boarding home and she's like i'll take her and her but i'm leaving his ass here so arthur doesn't get to come right Right. Yeah. And at this point, the mother has been uh, remarried. So, um, you know, Peggy's mom is feeding her all these stories as she is growing up, basically saying that Curly, her dad, had abandoned her family. Um, You know, Peggy knew that there was this brother, Arthur. She already knew about him. And then finally, when she's a teenager... Um, she starts looking through boxes in, in the attic where she lives and she finds, she finds this photo of him. And then in the reenactment, Peggy confronts her mother with the photo and, you know, adult Peggy is narrating this saying like, when I saw the picture of the little boy, he looked like me. I knew it was Arthur. I knew this was my little brother. Mm-hmm. And so she, in the, so teenage Peggy in the reenactment goes to her mother and like, sh- you know, confronts her with this photo and says, I know this is Arthur. I know this is him. Yeah. Um, and then the mother just take, snatches it out of her hands, doesn't say anything and walks away. Yo, and that was that. Move. That's the end of that reenactment. And adult Peggy tells us, you know, that's the last I ever saw that photo. Yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, I sorry. That's not teenage Peggy, but the way it was in the reenactment, she was a teenager. <laughs> right. The, the person playing her was clearly not six. Yeah. I guess there was some continuity errors in this. Cause now that I'm thinking about it. So she, Peggy in 1948 uh, or so gets sent to live in a foster home. At the age of nine. So whatever was going on in the reactment, it was just kind of some weird casting, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, that was strange. Anyway, so Peggy goes to the foster home. You know, I guess she's basically there until she gets married at the age of 17. Um, she has her own children. Um, finally, uh, though she still remained in contact with her mother, it just seems a very strange situation. But again, if, I wonder if it's one of these issues of just poverty breaking a family apart. Like the mother just couldn't, Mm-hmm. afford to take Arthur and then eventually couldn't afford to keep Peggy in her home, you know? Yeah. Uh, or something else was going on. I don't know. Unsolved Mysteries doesn't really get into it. Uh, so then in 1983, adult Peggy uh, starts doing all this gene- genealogical stuff. You know, she takes this to her now elderly mother in 1983 and says, you know, she, she was kind of baiting her to talk about 
Curly and talk about Arthur. Um, she gets a few clues as to where Curly was born, more information about Curly, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Peggy eventually tracks down Curly and Curly um, uh, writes her a letter. And Curly was just over the moon. He couldn't wait to have a relationship with his daughter because probably from Curly's point of view, like he went to war, then he got served with divorce papers and then he never saw his daughters again. So it's through Curly that we find out what happens with Arthur. And this is where shit gets real interesting. (laughs) (laughs) You see, Curly was raised in the circus. And literally and upon returning home from war it was the circus to which the, he returned the, i mean you, you you neglected to mention it was the that only when life he Peggy got the letter from her father curly was it a clown came in an env- like he he had like apparently some specialized pre, um pre-printed envelopes that had his logo mm-hmm. curly and q in the corner with pictures of clown faces <laughs> And she opens it mm. up, and his letter to her is written mm. on clown stationery, which I was kind of of two so minds has, about. On one hand, stationary. I was like, I don't really feel that's an appropriate stationery to write to your daughter. But on the other hand, amazing. You know, if you're gonna if if you're gonna yeah. reveal to your long lost daughter you're a clown, you might as well just get it out right at uh-huh. right at the start. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I don't. There's a, there's nothing wrong with being a circus clown. And I, I love that that was the life that Curly knew and he stayed with. He seemed very proud of his clowning. I was I was kind of disappointed. I was hoping they would get into some of the details of like his World War II career because I was really curious whether he belonged to the uh, 434th Intelligence Group. Okay. And what's that about? Which, which uh, Well, it, it, was a, it was actually a unit that was disproportionately made up of clowns. <laughs> I, well, Is this real? Yeah, you called me on that well before I like was ready to like reveal that this was BS. I was gonna t- I was gonna talk to you about like yeah, well you know the thing is is like they're you know they're they're mostly like uh, the clown. I say clowns, but like uh-huh. they're mostly like people of a European background, and yeah, but a lot of them uh-huh. were clowns, and so they had a lot of connect connections with uh, uh, performance uh, artists throughout Europe, and so they used that right. to gain intelligence on the Nazis. And then I was, I was, uh, you know, was hoping you'd just be like, huh, uh-huh. and then oh. I'd start going going into the like the sillier stuff of like, okay, well, like, yeah, and then yes, and, and and then you know when they would pull up in the via- uh, half right. track. Yeah, like that. Like they just keep coming out of the half track, and the Nazis would be like, "What's going on here?" Wow. And it got to the point where, like, like uh, uh, you know, like even members of the Waffen SS would sur- would would surrender the mm-hmm. moment they started hearing those bicycle horns. Being- <laughs> so, so the uh, what what number br- brigade or company was this? Oh, did, did what the say? hell did I just make up just now? Um, I think it was like the four hundred and thirty first company. Yeah, I think I think that's what I said. Yeah, and so they just through shock and awe of how many people they could pack in a tiny European car of the time, <laughs> right? Defeated the Nazis. Exactly. Okay, maybe Connor can edit out the part where I ask if this is real because I really wish I had just 
we have no, done that. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I should, I should have just kept talking and not even given like uh, uh, a, yeah. a pause for you to be able to. Well, uh, next time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> next time in our hundredth episode, maybe we'll figure out how to do this, how to do a bit. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, so so curly, uh, curly, curly, curly's a man of the circus. He's a we circus get, guy. A, yeah, and we get so, a reenactment of of him and little Arthur living yeah. in the circus. So that's what happens. He comes home from the war. He doesn't know where his ex wife and daughters are, but he is able to track down Arthur. Um, he takes mm-hmm. custody of him. Uh, Arthur, uh, from you know being a young little boy to about six years old, traveled with Curly in the Ringling Brothers Circus. And we had some really lovely reenactments of them, you know, you know, Curly just being a good dad and just like they're sleeping in their little circus wagon together. And, you know, all the all the uh, carnival folk are so kind to the little boy. But, you know, eventually we learn that the carnival folk are, you know, they have a little bit of a conversation with Curly. And they yeah. say, you know, a six. This is not really a great place for us for a six year old, and he needs to go to school and he needs stability. Curly and uh, you know, uh, Curly, he's torn. You know, because he felt like, all right, well, I grew up in the circus. That was good enough for me. And it's yeah. there's nothing wrong with having an itinerant lifestyle, you know. You get to see the world and meet all kinds of interesting people, and and it's re- it's really the other carnival people that tell Curly, you know, this isn't this isn't right. He needs your little yeah, boy needs to you, be in school. So your, your son needs to go to school. <laughs> he, ne- he needs to go to, go to school. So in 1948, Curly and the circus they're in Logan, Utah. And uh, Curly takes his little boy to a Catholic organization uh, in Logan. And uh, there's a little reenactment of Curly and, and the priest and the priest saying, yeah, we'll find, we'll find a good home for Arthur. We'll give him a good home. He'll mm-hmm. be okay. And, you know, Curly's torn, though. You know, I just I really between his letter to Peggy and how and how he was depicted as interacting with Arthur, you know, it's, he, he really did long for his children. I don't think. Yeah. I think maybe the mother really gave a unfair characterization uh, right. of, of Curly well, to Peggy. So so anyway, you know, Curly's getting on in years now in the present, the present of 1992 or three. And Peggy, you know, she only has so much information. Um, she had found a mention of Arthur Lloyd or something like that in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um and that's only because uh, Arthur had written Curly with no return address uh, a couple yeah. of times as as an older older and adult at that point in the sixties. Um, so Peggy doesn't have Arthur's adopted family's name. Uh, Curly, unfortunately, after reuniting with his daughters, um, passes away um in 1991 and so he he never gets to reunite with arthur but now peggy's looking for uh peggy's looking for arthur who who at the time in 1993 would have been 76 years old so he would he would have been up there in years you know peggy's peggy's an older woman in 1993 so um that's the story 
and I sat there, I think probably as you did, waiting for the update. And then it was like, that night, someone contacted our call center. <laughs> and there's no update. Oh, man. Which is, it's it's doubly uh, unfortunate because I was really hoping that <laughs> in the update, she would uh, uh, meet, uh, meet her... Um, uh, you know, brother, and it turned mm-hmm. out that Arthur had a job in the circus, but not as a clown. He yeah. actually <laughs> was working at concession <laughs> in charge of the concession <laughs> stand for Barlow and Bailey. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah. Got, didn't take up his father's trade. It seems like. Yeah. No. Um. So yes, it's um the the thing that uh. In one of the earlier in the segment, in one of the reenactments, we we have sort of the depiction of how Peggy finally coerced like her mother into like giving her like the town that her father came from. Not mm-hmm. in, not any other information, just like you know the town, mm-hmm. uh, his birthplace or whatever. Um, and it's it like it depicts them at a restaurant of some sort, mm-hmm. and she's showing her this whiteboard little chart she's family tree thing she's made and i like how they chose to play this in the segment because you know she's showing her all these different things like oh i put some things of aunt who you know whoever here and so and so and and her mom's like just really like enjoying it like oh yes there she is there's that Mm -hmm. And, and and then when peggy gets to the topic of of her father like her mother's demeanor immediately changes. Like, you know, it, like she gets this bitter look on her face. Like, why would you want to bring up that topic? And, and as right. if it just came out of nowhere, right. never mind that this whiteboard she's showing her has a whole half that's blank with the, with the, with father written at the top yeah. of it as if she wasn't going to get around to, to actually mentioning that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I've learned from all these lost love segments is that they were called the silent generation for a reason. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not just a pun. I think you're kind of correct. Um, I think- and I, and I realized the silent generations, cause they're not going to say shit ever about anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, on one, on the one hand, I kind of respect it. On the other hand, boy, y'all, y'all keeping some secrets out there, old people. Come on now, right. let the, the let your family know. Millions you know? and millions of unknown brothers and sisters. It, no, seriously, and, it's real. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, we don't find Arthur. That kind of bummed me out. I, fr- I thought for sure that was going to be a nice, tidy update, and it just didn't happen. So Yeah. Um. Hey, so the next segment, I want to give everyone um, a T-dubs, a trigger warning, because um, we're going to talk about some pretty uncomfortable stuff. I, I don't plan to go into any real, de- re- real detail about it, because it's not, there's other things to focus on. And it's also kind of a tale as old as time. Um, but if you don't want to hear about that shit, you can probably fast forward about 10 minutes uh, and, and we'll be all done talking about it um, in this yeah. next segment. So I just wanted to let people know there's, yeah, there's sexual assault and all kinds of bad, 
bad things happen um, in the next 10 minutes. But I'm, I'm going to breeze over most of it. So uh, because that is not what is interesting to me personally. Uh, like so many um, megalomaniac predatory assholes, there's this guy named uh, Nelson DeCloud <laughs> who <laughs> who uh, is was the leader of a religious cult in Liberty, Missouri. Um, now, he inherited the cult from Forrest McLeod. Uh, and so in 1998, Nelson ascended. He used to be a cop. Nelson ascended to the role of spiritual leader. And um, so then he moves all of his followers. So I, you know, I really don't know what the tenets of this little leadership cult religion are. It doesn't really matter. Who cares? Um, uh, interestingly, though, uh, the beginning of the episode, not the beginning of the segment, introduces this segment uh, with talking about Waco. So I guess Waco had happened very recently. It's like in the yeah. zeitgeist. Um, and if you all want to look up uh, what happened in Waco, Texas, you can do that. Um, it was a uh, kind of similar situation, but not really um, to what's going on with the DeCloud family. Uh, so it was just interesting that Unsolved Mysteries made that connection. It felt like they were really trying to like jump on, jump on like the, a zeitgeisty thing with this segment. Yeah. Because they're really, because this is another Dateline segment, I feel like. This is just the story. It's not an unsolved mystery. At the end, it gets solved. We know what happens. Yeah, we know what happens. I think it's introduced as a wanted segment um, for okay. uh, Nelson. Yeah. So, um, so enter Julie Renee Cooper and Julie's family when she's just six years old. Her, her parents decide to join this cult. In the uh, mid 1970s, I th I think it was called the DeCloud family or something like that. Yeah, it's like not very specific, but anyway, they they all live on this farm. Just seems real rough as these things doesn't, are. It doesn't seem like a great way to live. Um, not a lot of private property. You know, it's real commune, real shitty commune situation. Yeah. It seems like. And uh, DeCloud, like so many of these gurus, other spiritual leaders, uh, demand a kind of perverse devotion from their followers that often includes sexual assault and um, rape of women and children. Um, I won't get into it more than that. Suffice it to say that Julie, over a number of years from, from having been a very young child um, to a teenager, was exposed to things she probably should definitely should not have been and uh, was the victim yeah. of many more things, which have some very awkward reenactments around them. Oh, and boy. Unsolved mysteries. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think there's a line and not everything needs to be reenacted. Yeah, there's so many times I have been left wanting more reenactments in a segment. <laughs> and this is really a time where I needed less. I think. Mm, mm, yes, um, yes. So they reenact some of these uh, uh, very uncomfortable situations that teenage Julie was subjected to. Um, just just short of it being a TV 14 rating, I think. Yeah. Um, so Julie tries to escape this cult because um, she's like, yo, this shit's fucked up. I'm leaving. And she gets captured and dragged back to the farm 
on her first escaped attempt. And so a couple years later, uh, she sees another opportunity coming uh, when the satellite dish breaks down. (laughs) I was shocked to discover that like the leader of this cult was allowing satellite television uh, to even right? be remotely anywhere nearby, I, I can only, I can only assume it would be unless it was just go- going directly into his like private office or something. It might have been. Yeah. Th- then, then you know, I, I guess that can make sense because you know he wants to watch, um, you know, he wants to watch Family Feud and and right. Alf, yeah, <laughs> in, in peace and. Uh, but yeah. do you think that's do you think that's what like um uh rapey uh cult leaders are into in the eighties? <laughs> family feud and Alf. Are you, are you suggesting that he was he was watching something else? Um, I well, I mean, was anything else on? That's a good question. I mean, it was oh, just yeah, all that- Alf and. Family Feud those days. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was was Cinemax in existence yet? I'm not sure. I know HBO was, but uh, yeah. I'm not sure about yeah. Cinemax. So, uh, so here's the thing: satellite dish uh, breaks down, and it falls on Julie to call uh, call uh, the repairer person. And enter Tim Santee, the savior, the real hero of this entire story, the satellite repairman, Tim Santee. He uh, has a very pleasant conversation with Julie. But then when he gets to the compound now, in Tim Santee's words, he was like, well, I just thought it was like a big party going on. Like, I just walked into a party. Bless your heart, Tim Santee. (laughs) (laughs) If I was in his position and I arrived at like what they have in the reenactment with just like all these vehicles around and just like people uh, of all different ages wandering around and Mm -hmm. (laughs) all over the place. Yeah. My mind would probably have been like, oh, family reunion or or something. Yeah. I, I, Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure where they filmed the reenactment. Obviously, it's not the original farm, but it's a real people sleeping on old buses kind of thing <laughs> um, crystal like you know everyone else on the compound can make do with buses and whatnot yeah. i mean yes nelson has this four poster bed mm-hmm. and the satellite television and and warm meals <laughs> but uh uh, everyone else can make do with, I guess, the scraps. <laughs> I guess so. I. Yeah. Anyways, so Tim Santee wanders in, and uh, there was a very interesting reenactment where Tim, while he's working on the electronics of the dish or whatever, is introduced to um, this DeCloud person. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Nelson. Like, Nelson, yeah. yeah, Nelson comes over and introduce, and and Tim's like, oh yeah, 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 and like doesn't like show him reverence or anything because you know he's just a guy. They're just two guys because that's right. actually what is going on is that they're just two guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim kind of like blew him off, and I get and there's in the reenactment like uh, Nelson is so it, it was like a rebuff. He was so offended. Yeah, you know. 
Um, so Tim, Tim and Julie keep talking on the phone and, uh, Julie, you know, she's under pretty tight surveillance by this Nelson guy, but you know, she manages to have some nice conversations with Tim and, and Tim upon arriving at the compound realizes that Julie's demeanor completely changes when this Nelson person is in the room and he, he knows something isn't quite right. And, um, so, you know, Julie kind of gets a sense that this Tim guy is someone she can trust. Tim's not falling for Nelson's whatever. And right, Julie, like, yeah, he, she, he's like the first guy she's seen who doesn't In like slobber all like, like just, just by, by virtue of being like, Hey, how's it going? Da, da, da. Like it, it almost feels like he's, he's almost challenging Nelson for alpha dog status by, right. by the standards of this, this compound. Right. But Tim's just having a normal interaction with another dude. <laughs> right. Yeah, so this is the first time Julie's probably ever really seen that happen because she's been there since she was six years old, you know. And um, so Julie and Tim kind of have like a phone relationship. And Tim says, you know, he wanted to ask Julie out, but he like Julie said she couldn't get out really. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Julie said, you know, I can I can go on a date with you. I can go out with you, but you have to come really early in the morning. So you know julie puts a bag of stuff together tim shows up right at the time he said he would um and then reenactment julie's telling to you know she jumps in tim's truck and is like go 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 we gotta go um and then she told him about the abuses and that she'd been basically held captive by decloud and his followers immediately at dawn decloud goes looking for julie can't find her um he and another follower dress up as police officers and they go to tim's house but they were dumb fucks, and they went to the home of Tim's brother, Ted, instead. Right. Idiots. I, so Tim I, and Julie I, were asleep in the house next door. Ted told them to get fucked, because I guess their little outfits weren't very convincing. Yeah, so I like how Ted. they tried to... Ha- I like how they tried to hold their fa- flashlights in a menacing manner too. Right. <laughs> like the yeah. one guy is just sort of like he's holding it like he's holding uh, uh like a M16 or something. <laughs> it's like it's a flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. So at that point, so Ted comes goes next door to his brother's house and tells him, you know, this strange incident that happened and then um Julie realizes that she's being pursued. And so, you know, immediately they go to the police. Julie gives a statement. That's all the police needed to hear, basically, because they've been keeping an eye on this stupid cult for like a long time. You know, again, when we talk about Waco, when we talk about the early 90s, there was a lot of federal attention, a lot of law enforcement attention on these sort of religious sects throughout the United States. Ruby Ridge is another example. Um, So Mm -hmm. it, it was just an interesting time, which seems very different from now, where that kind of fringe stuff was just not going to be tolerated at all yeah and so you know julie's statement was all they needed and they went looking for nelson um they couldn't find anyone because at this point the cloud family had picked up and moved uh completely and they were gone they left they left a few family members behind but nelson was gone and uh so at this point unsolved mysteries is looking for the cloud but we get an update that is so seamless that it just seems like it's part of the segment. It's not like update. Yeah. It is an update, but it's not, it just, it's it, part of the segment. Basically. It, it feels almost as if like the, 
the mystery got solved before they even finished <laughs> making Probably the before they finished producing yeah. the segment. I would assume. Yeah. That it hadn't gone to air yet by the time um, the police located Nelson yeah. DeCloud. So, um, but it also says that upon airing, that viewers had called in to the Unsolved Mysteries hotline saying they had seen DeCloud, DeCloud's wife in San Angelo, Texas. So I don't know how much of this was law enforcement being ahead of the game or Unsolved Mysteries. But just the way that it's edited and presented, it kind of just seems like one long Dateline segment. Yeah, did you notice that... Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. No, I, I agree. Did you notice that with the quote-unquote update... Mm-hmm. That the little banner in the diagonal banner in the corner that said update, mm-hmm. it, it was of a different font and color than we typically see. It was yeah, just like, I think it was maybe that's pink... why I didn't, it didn't, I didn't even clock it Yeah, as being an update. It just seemed like one long segment. So yeah. that's probably why I didn't notice it. Yeah, it was like um, pink. Huh? Hot pink. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's yellow over like purple lines, right? Yeah, it, it, usually it's like unsolved mysteries color themed. So I have right. no idea what was going on with this one. Yeah, huh? That's yeah. weird. Did, uh, did I? So, did I? Did, did uh-huh? anyone mention to you uh, uh-huh. during on the on the sorry on the day of your wedding? Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think this was on the day of your wedding when people were like going down to the um the front of the the hotel and uh-huh. you know sort of loitering around and, huh. and getting ready to 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 go to the good to go to the wedding yeah uh this woman walked by the front of the hotel along mm-hmm. with like i don't know she was in the company of three or four other people and she was wearing entirely all pink uh-huh like tight pink pants a pink shirt long sleeve shirt maybe it was just like one jumpsuit outfit mm-hmm. and pink shoes mm-hmm. and like her entourage like her group walk into the front of the hotel to, and talk to the the uh like they're yelling because uh, because they're not they're not walking up to the counter they're just talking to the people at, behind the counter from the entrance of the hotel uh-huh and um uh, before like walking out and going on somewhere else, I don't even remember what they said, but like it was it was so obnoxious to hear huh. that like everyone who was present kind of just rolled their eyes at that, uh-huh. and then I made this uh, comment of like God, her mouth matches her, no, her, her personality matches her 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 dress style or something uh-huh. and one of your new in-laws got a pretty good chuckle out of that so oh well, that's <laughs> yeah. good you got a funny yeah i did oh, that's nice mm. yeah Sorry, we, ran, just we had... ran into like a lot of very strange what i was describing later as npcs from that weekend <laughs> yeah just island folk that yeah, there was a lot, like, collectively, there were a lot of strange encounters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so this Nelson asshole, anyway, they caught his ass, they put him in jail, he died in prison, uh, serving only Hooray! 20 years. Yeah, serving only 20 years of his 220-year sentence that he got <laughs> for rape and sodomy. The end. That's yeah. the update. 
That's the actual update. That's the white text update that we get at the very end of this. Now, I missed something. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Like, the first time I watched this, this segment uh, was actually a week ago. Um, and then I did a ro- little review uh, watch here uh, just recently. But I must admit, did are Julie and Tim a couple? Are they together? Yeah. Yeah. That's her hero. They're together. Yeah. They stay together. Um, I think that's also an important update. Yeah. They were being interviewed together, like holding hands. They uh, they fell in love, man. Hey, Robbie. <laughs> yes. If, if people want to get in touch with us, how should how should they do that? Send us an email, reenactedpod at gmail.com. Uh, go to Facebook, Reenacted Fans Podcast. Um, uh, Twitter, Reenacted Pod, at Reenacted Pod. Uh, leave us five stars on iTunes. Yeah, and, and whoever has been doing the one stars, you can stop doing that. You're really <laughs> dragging down the average here. It's pissing me off. You can just stop it's, doing that. We don't. We don't find it amusing. If if, no, if you want to. Just st- yeah. if you don't like the pod, just stop listening to it. You don't need to say right. anything. Just stop. Um, stop. Move on with yeah. your life. Yeah. Or go to Patreon and uh-huh. sign up to, to send us money once a month. Either yeah. the $1 tier, which just supports the pod, or the $5 tier, uh, where I will send you stuff. And yeah. I, I've seen seen some, some some people who are signed up in that tier have actually sent us sent us their addresses. So Yeah, you can finally get them the thing that you're going to yeah. send. And, um, you know, sometimes if you're at the $5 tier, sometimes we drop some like exclusive content on the Patreon feed too. So there's something, there's something for you there right now. If you haven't done that already, yeah, go, go take care of that. Um, uh, Robbie, did you want to do the thing? Join us next week for another edition of unsolved mysteries. 